Bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ." Anytime we start off with that, you know it's going to be a good day. So I'm here. I'm Michael. Lou is over there. Hey there. We are here to tell you that he who cares the least wins. <laughs> That's a zinger right there. <laughs> That's my. Uh, it's a lesson I learned years ago from a radio show. It was one of their rules for dating, where the guys guys would call in for advice on dating women. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, it always happens with this guy. He's like, I, I can't lose her. She's the most beautiful, wonderful person I've ever dated. And they're just like, well, then you're going to lose because you care more than she does. The person who wins every argument is the person who cares the least. Right. They have less, less to lose, right? Go into a fight. Who wins the fight? The person who cares about their own life and own safety the least is going to win the fight because they're going to fight longer, fight harder, hit dirtier. They don't care. Yeah. Therefore, they are going to win. Yeah. You care, therefore, you will retreat. You will surrender first. For so sure. he who cares the least wins. <laughs> it was true then. It's true. You ready, Christian? It is true in theology. And I can prove it. All right. <laughs> Can't wait. So what are we talking about? Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. All right, a couple timeouts because we gotta, we just got to make sure we lay our foundations properly. Remember, context is king when it comes to understanding your Bible. What's a Jude? <laughs> He's half-brother of Jesus. That's who the James is talking about because... Jude, all right, historical context, Jude is writing middle, early middle of the 7th uh, seventh century. Oh, my goodness, I'm so used to that. 7th decade, so early 60s. So he's writing in and around Jerusalem where apparently, according to some historical evidence, he had an itinerant ministry traveling around the Judean hillsides. Yeah. Hence the reason to identify himself as brother of James. One, Jude, as a faithful believer, is not going to be so presumptuous as to identify himself as a brother of Christ. That would be a pedestal that he is not daring, a mantle he will never dare to claim. But identifying himself with James, who everybody knows because James is and has been the air quotes apostolic leader of the Jerusalem church. Peter has been traveling, Paul travels, James is kind of the anchor of that Jerusalem church. So by telling, hey, I'm James's brother, everybody immediately knows who you are, and they make the connection that you're, if you're the brother of James, and James is the half-brother of Jesus, then that makes you half-brother of Jesus. So there you right. go. This is important because Matthew 13, John 7, during Jesus's earthly ministry, his brothers loved him and adored him as Messiah and proclaimed his gracious mercies all of the days, right? No. No. Why don't you go down to the festival? Nobody who wants to be famous does anything in secret. Right. There's your uh, there's your snotty translation. The um, what would that be? The uh, the the SVT, the snotty version translation. <laughs> <laughs> we should do that. We we should come up with our own Bible translation, the snotty oh. version. Yeah. yeah. Bad. Yeah, but it would be good. Hey, don't you ever don't you ever watch bad Halloween movies? It's that time of year. I watch bad Halloween movies because there's movie movie criteria is circular. Okay. So like there's bad movies and then there's good movies, but they're not linear. A movie can be so bad that it goes past the bad scale and comes all the way back around and becomes good again. Yeah, yeah. It's just you watch the movie and be like, this movie is awful, and I love it. Mm. Because you enjoy the cheesiness and the stupidity of everything. Makes you laugh the yes. whole time. Yep. We, we should do a Bible translation like that. It's so bad, it's good. Okay. 
So no, they didn't believe. They thought he was insane. Maybe he was demon-possessed. They were snotty about it. What changed that he would now be to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ? Why is he a slave of Christ? Acts 1. He was a witness to the resurrection. Yeah, that kind of, when, when somebody gets, somebody who's dead isn't dead anymore, you're kind of like, you know, maybe all that stuff he was talking about was actually true. Maybe it made sense. And never forget, never forget, Christian, the early church isn't just like the 11 leftover apostles in the corpse of Judas. Right? There's 120 in the upper room. There's 125. My brain just froze on that. I think it's 120. We're going to go with 120. Yeah. Don't quote me on that. Read Acts, it'll do you good. <laughs> there's 120 people in the upper room. So it's 11 apostles. There's a group of people that have been there from the beginning. Be- beginning. Don't ask me where that just came from. It just pulled something. There's a group that have been there from the beginning. That's how they got um, Matthias and got to choose him. There's Mary. There's the sisters. And I think at that point, because of the resurrection appearance and the 40 days of ministry after the resurrection, it would include the brothers. Because this guy who I've been trying to lie to myself about my entire life and, you know, denigrating him because of all of his goodness and suddenly realizing that I was wrong. Therefore, I'm on board. What do we got to do? Well, we got things to do. So that's who Jude is. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. This is a solid greeting. This is grounded in New Testament slash biblical theology. It's a greeting of grace. Why? Ephesians 2. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of works and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God so that no one may boast. In other words, I extend grace because God has already extended grace to me. Mercy. Well, this is how everything gets done. We have the mercies of Christ. We have the what was due to me as a sinner. Oh, punishment. Yes. I should have died in a horrible, terrible manner, Mm -hmm. and my sin is so bad that after God kills me in a horrible, terrible manner, he should bring me back to life and do it again. (laughs) Then he should bring me back to life, and he should do it again. You know, I think we have a word for this. It's called hell. (laughs) Welcome to eternal judgment. That's what I'm due, but I don't receive that. Instead... I'm a servant of Christ, reserved for the kingdom of Christ. That's the mercy of God. This is what Jesus has given because of his sinlessness and his ability to enter into the throne and his claiming of me as his own. I inherit his goodness and I too can stand blameless before the throne. Jude also says that. That's his benediction at the end. And peace. Why? Because that's what Jesus provides to us. I give you peace, not as the world gives, but as he gives. Um, Paul echoes this sentiment. Well, actually, I think Jude echoes Paul's sentiment would be a better way to say it. Got to find it. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he knew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. So to be firstborn among many brethren, these whom he predestined, he called, and these whom he called, he justified, and these whom he justified, he also glorified. Look, if I have been called, justified, and glorified by God, what am I worried about? Nothing if you're trusting in the Lord. Well, because because he's called me, he's justified me, and he's glorified me. Therefore, what am I worried about? Nothing. When I get to sit down unworried about anything, I would call that being at what? Peace. Peace. There you go. Welcome to what Christ accomplishes. Christian, this is why we talk about the world robbing you of your peace. And you know what? That's a terrible way to phrase it because they don't rob you of anything. Yeah, they shouldn't be able to take your peace, your joy. They can't. They can't snatch you from the Father's hand. Therefore, if you are not living at peace, they didn't take it from you. You surrendered it. Stop doing that. You have lived in their world. You have bought into the lie. You have forgotten where you stand. And most importantly, because you know I'm going to say this next, why you stand. See, understanding that it is God's work that gets me in and God's work that keeps, keeps me means my work doesn't take me out, which means I stand because of him, which means you can't take anything from me because you haven't given me anything. And what I have been given, you have no power or authority to remove. This is an important thing. Now, you're asking, why are we spending this time? We could have started at verse 3. And years ago when I preached through the book of Jude, I did that. I started in verse 3. But this is important to lay this foundation because, well, I didn't start with verse 3. That was this whole separate week. Verses 1 and 2 were one week, and then verses 3 and 4 were one week. But the reason that's important, though, is because if you don't have this foundation of who Jude is, why he's like that, and what this message to the church is grounded in, Christian, you don't have a foundation for anything. Who are you? 
Why are you like that? What does that mean for your life? Welcome to Christian living and identification all in one time. You, like Jude, because of the work of Christ, are Christian. Because of the work of Christ, you are in the kingdom, persevering until its end. Therefore, you extend mercy and peace and love because they have been extended to you. And you recognize that their extension to you is not a deserved thing or an earned thing, but are simply products of the character, nature, and work of God. Therefore, you, seeking to be an imitator of Christ, seek to imitate what? The character, nature, and work of God. I can't save people, but I can proclaim salvation. I can't love people the way God loves, but I can love as best as I can according to the love that he has shown me. Therefore, I am partnering in this work. I am walking rightly in this world. Why? Because I understand who I am and why I am that way. This matters. This matters a lot in this world. Ah, I'm drying out terribly today. So, all right. Now, with all of that said, we can dive into some meat here. You ready? As if that was all just useless stuff, right? We got all that fluff and gospel stuff out of the way. (laughs) That was good stuff. Beloved, that's the church, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. See, let's be honest, Christian. That's the other reason we started where we start. What do you want to talk about? I mean, if you are one of those people that you want to sit down and talk about how awful the world is, check your heart. I'm serious. I mean, we know the world is miserable. We know the world is awful. We get that. Does that mean we should be, all right, this is going to be an odd way to phrase that. Should we be celebrating the awfulness of the world? Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, no, but it, it is very consuming. When it gets, and it's bad, it gets really bad. Well, what do you call the person, right. what do you call the person that every conversation, every waking thought, every news article, every book, every TV show is oriented towards the demise of Western civilization. Negative, Nancy. Yeah, but, I mean, but, but isn't that a life of celebration of iniquity in a nutshell? I mean, we don't want to folk. We have, we have to know what's going on around us. I'm not arguing that. Right. But what I'm getting at is... If that occupies every moment of your That's my day. point. Now, how many Christians is that the case for? Uh, today, I, I would venture to say quite a few. So ask yourself this, Christian. Do you watch cable news or read your Bible more? And look, you do you. You make your evaluations. You decide your priorities. I'm just, I'm just throwing that one out there. That's a good one. Put if, it on if, the table. If I'm watching more Fox News than I am reading Romans, then you know something's probably a eh, little askew in my, in my intake there. This matters. Didn't tell you not to watch the news. Didn't tell you not to know what's going on around you. But I said, priorities. Yeah, be careful. I want to make, I'm making every effort to write you about our common salvation because I want to rejoice in Christ. He's, he was part of that Acts 2 community. What were, what were they doing? Seeing the glorious works of God, sharing in the teachings of the apostles, holding things in common. It was a good world. Now, keep in mind, I made mention we're writing in the... Um, early to middle part of the 60s. So 63, 64 AD, before major persecution. I don't know what just happened. Somewhere between a Scotsman and a Kentucky coal miner. right there. Before the persecution broke out in the 40s. Before the Neronian persecution breaks out, I lost Lou. (laughs) You suddenly pictured me barefoot, you know, cut off jeans, big old white beard and a jug, right? That and the corn cob pipe. There there you go, the pipe. Got to have the pipe in there. Now I know what what I'm being for Halloween, right? (laughs) That's 30 years removed from the resurrection. Jude's been living a life of rejoicing celebrating, participating in the work. I said he's got an itinerant ministry in and around Judea. For 30 years, he's been proclaiming Christ. While there have been ups and downs, persecution breaks out because of Herod and the work of the, uh, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin in the 40s, we haven't had major persecution yet hit the church. We've had little pockets of it. Yeah. He's had a fruitful, glorious ministry. And let's be honest, what do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about all the arguments at the meetings of the church, or do you want to talk about how many baptisms we had this week? Do you want to talk about the great teaching that we're doing, or do you want to talk about the arguments going on about the parking lot? I mean, let's be honest. 
So Jude's perspective is right. I want to write to you about our common salvation, but I felt it necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. See, Christian, you don't get the option. You have to contend. You have to. Because there are going to be problems. I mean, this is what Paul, Paul at the end of his ministry, what, late 60s? So not, not five years after this letter is written, Paul's going to tell Timothy that they're going to do what? They're going to reject sound doctrine. They're going to turn away to myths and false stories. Here, stop doing that tablet. Don't ask me what that just was. My, my little tablet is not cooperating. Preach the word. Why? The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires, turning away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. See, that's the worry, because that's humanity. Jude's seeing that already. I mean, I want to write to you to rejoice in our salvation, but I have to encourage you to stand firm, to fight the good fight. Why do we have to fight the good fight? Paul tells you this, Galatians 1, Paul's first letter. So bookends this, Paul's last letter with Paul's first letter. I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, because there is no other gospel. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. I like the old King James there. He is to be anathema. Anathema. Damned to hell. Right. It's a serious curse, man. This matters. See, that's what you're contending for because how many Christs are there? One. Only one. There's one way, one truth, one life, one narrow road. One way of salvation, Um, as Peter puts it, one name under heaven by which you may be saved. Therefore, when something attempts to corrupt that or someone attempts to corrupt that, we have to do what? Fight. Now, this is where my intro becomes so important. How do you fight? Tooth and nail. As hard as you possibly can. Why? Because while I love you, if you're going to besmirch, you know it's a good day when we drop a besmirch. <laughs> if you are going to besmirch the name and work of God, and you are going to do so willfully and continually, you got bigger problems than me to worry about. I'm serious. Mm-hmm. You, you have a lot bigger problems than me to worry about. You have God to contend with. You're not going to win that fight. Therefore... Um, as long as you continue that fight and you want to be that dumb to fight against God, I'm not letting you have a leg to stand on. I'm not letting you have a platform to speak. I'm not letting you have any ground or footing with which you can assault the people of God and their good theology and salvation that Christ has wrought in them. I'm just not letting you have that, which means I fight against you with every fiber of my being. Not some of it. All of it. I don't care what you think of me. I don't care what you want to do to me. I don't care what you say about me. You have to go. And when you understand that, Christian, you actually use the means by which God has provided to you. You actually wield the sword rightly. You proclaim Christ's truth. You reject error, and you run them out on a rail. That's what contend means. Paul's answer is, I don't care if it's an angel that claims to stand before the throne of God. If he's not preaching Jesus, throw him out and cast him to hell. I mean, seriously. Right. If an angel showed up at your church tomorrow, what would be your reaction? <gasps> You'd probably fall on your face like everybody else. Yeah. Paul's answer is, what's he saying? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. This goes back to the Old Testament test, right? If a prophet comes among you, how do we know if it's a prophet of Yahweh or not? Well, well did he, what he say come to come pass? Through, yeah. Awesome. Well, if what he said came to pass, then he's a true prophet. He came from Yahweh. Awesome. But if after what has come to pass, he then encourages you to follow after other gods, stone him to death because God is testing you. Right. He's a false prophet. Right. In other words, God may actually allow a false prophet to come in and give you a true prophecy just to make sure you're paying attention. Right. To make sure you're actively engaged in your faith. 
So in other words, when the angel shows up, spreads his wings, and the light shines in your sanctuary, go. So what's the message? Well, you, you, you need to do better and work harder. Get out. Get out. <laughs> There's always one. There's always one. I mean, you need to have good JoJo theology. I think it was JoJo who sang that song. Get out right now. This is the end of you and me. Lou was like, no, I don't know that one. And you're better. Yeah, your daughters are old, are old enough to have missed that one. So you're better off. Mm. I was in youth ministry. I heard all the terrible songs in the, in the, in the 2010s. <laughs> uh, yeah, I had to break poor, some poor girl's heart. She was telling me about a Justin Bieber song. I'm like, I thought a woman sang that. She's like, <gasps> you have besmirched the Bieber. And I was just oh, like, he's so funny looking today. He doesn't look anything like he used to. I know. He looks so different from when he was a child. I know. He went from, like, the bowl haircut and the, the shaggies, and now he's, like, buzz cut and tattooed and married to a model. It's bizarre. He is. It's just bizarre. Anyway, there's my pop culture knowledge. <laughs> yeah. He Justin Bieber looks like a YouTube rapper. There you go. He does. That, that's a good way of putting it. Talented so, kid, but... So, no, we have to contend. Why? Because it is the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. In other words, we have Highlander theology. There can only be one. There can be only one! One of my favorite shows. <laughs> yeah. And then Sean Connery's got to try to cut his head off and he doesn't swing hard enough. Right. See, that's, 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 that's the most depressing part. I know. And they kill Sean. And then they brought him back in the second one, which was just dumb. The second movie's terrible. The first one's actually really good. But... <laughs> it's better to burn out than the Apparently. There yeah. you go. No, we have one theology. That's why we're given scripture, so that you're equipped for all the good works. You have one way of salvation. So why does Jude have to make sure you're contending? Certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. As we said last week, the call is coming from inside the house. Right, and it seems like there are some testing going on. Yeah, because again, if God sends you a prophet and what he says comes to pass. Look, Paul gave the church this warning. i got to double-check my verse. Behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. In other words, Paul's warning was what? They're going to come from among you. Paul's warning the Ephesians of this in what, 63, 64 AD? Jude is writing to the Judean churches in 63, 64 AD saying what? Yeah. Same same problem. The call is coming from inside the house. Okay. Worldview understanding time. You ready? Let's go. There's nothing new under the sun. How many times have you heard me say, you take this worldview philosophy, you take this worldview philosophy, and what it really boils down to is, did God really say? See, Satan's game is not to start a rival religion. He tried that. It didn't kill the church. Islam. Who said that? (laughs) (laughs) Is there another voice in here? Hello? Anyway. The game is twisting contorting see the the serpent doesn't come into the garden and go did god really say that the trees and the fruit are evil it's did god really say not to eat from any of these trees oh no no he didn't say that he said we could eat from all of them but this one yeah don't even don't even touch it right well we talked about that yeah Oh, no, no. If you eat of it, we'll surely die. Oh, you won't die. It's good for you. It's the tree of knowledge. See, right there, you've already lost because you're contemplating it. The sin is already accomplished. Mm -hmm. You doubted the word. See, this is the game. This is why the certain persons never... Okay, Christian, your faithful Bible-believing church, you ready? The lady with the blue hair... And the three girlfriends is not kicking in your door 
and telling you to repent and believe the gay gospel, okay? They're just not doing that because it's not going to work. (laughs) This is why Satan never shows up in your office or in your bedroom, you know, like red leotard, horns, and pitchfork and be like, hey, you want to make a deal, buddy? Because you'd immediately go, he's real. It's all real. And your faith would simply be strengthened and confirmed. For the same reason the, the, the Alphabet Soup Brigade doesn't kick in your church door and go, why don't you worship the same way we do? They take over slowly, incrementally. Well, we would like to talk about the role of women. We would like to talk about women in ministry. We'd like to talk about how you raise your children. We'd like to discuss with you the purposes of marriage. And you talk yourself into heresy. They arise from within with subtle twisting, subtle understandings. Christian, what are you? Why are you like that? That's your only defense. Here's the topic of the day. That's your only inoculation against this heresy. And if you have no idea what I just said, an inoculation is a fancy word for vaccine that we're not talking about. Yeah, we're not talking about it. It, It's a very common tactic. I mean, when you look at at the people of Israel as they're poised outside the promised land and, and these kings are scrambling and, and hiring uh, uh, prophets to come and, 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 and cast spells and whatever, and, and they, couldn't, they couldn't cast spells against, they, they couldn't cast or curse mm-hmm. a people that had been blessed by God, but what did he do? He consoled them. Yeah. You know, if you send some hot little right. honeys down there. Right. So it's, <laughs> it's something that's coming from within. Yeah. The, the, what happened to Solomon. Same thing. He, he Solomon has women. a great foundation. Yeah, yeah. David sets him up beautifully. What does he start doing? He starts making some alliances. Yep. And next thing you know, well, this wife wants to do this, and this wife wants to do that. Next thing you know, we have pagan idolatry run amok in Israel for the next 400 years. Yeah, good job, Solomon. Way to go, team. Yeah. Everybody's fired, right? Yeah. But it's, 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 no, it's, it's common. It's, it's a very the common same, thing. It's the same thing. All throughout so scripture. They've crept in unnoticed. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our Master and Lord Jesus Christ, which means they're doomed. Right. Romans 6, you're not following the gospel, you're not saved. Second John 7 through 11, you're not following Christ rightly, you're not saved. Notice this part, though. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, God is not shocked. Right. He's not surprised. Right. God's looking at this going... Yeah, I knew these people were coming. Yeah, there's no I will judge them for this iniquity. Mm -hmm. Christian, what should you do? Stand firm. And fight like your soul depends on it. Do you know why you should do that? Because it does. Mm. Because if you're capable and willing to surrender to the world, if you're capable and willing to surrender to false teaching, I wonder if the Holy Spirit's actually doing anything. I mean, I can't make that declaration, but I can wonder, can't I? That's part of my job. I wonder if the Holy Spirit is sealing you. I wonder if he's protecting you. Because if he's not, you should be terrified about the location of your destination for eternity. Yeah, the sad thing is, is most times they don't. They don't have any care in the world, and they think they're walking the right path. Which Which is why I've said persecution is a great revelatory thing for the church. It refines. Not only that, but it, it causes us to grow because the people do like you're saying. They fight with everything they got in them. James 1, 1 Peter 1, Romans 5, um, Luke 12. Yeah. I, I, I always run those down. What, is it, what do they all tell you? Difficulty, persecution, perseverance. They produce what? Faith, hope, strength, knowledge. They produce these things. Right. You refine precious metals in the... Fire. fire yeah. And if you don't refine them by fire, you refine them by chiseling mm. off the things you don't want. Mm. So gold and silver is refined in the fire. Diamonds are refined by cutting, chipping, sawing away at them. Mm-hmm. Welcome to how you get refined. Yeah. This is, this, is the, this is the picture that we should use. So yeah. what we're talking about, perseverance, and why does this matter? Okay. Christian. This is the hard part. You ready? Stop. Put on your thinking cap. When is salvation realized? Not when is it accomplished. It's accomplished by Christ at the cross, which technically you could argue it's, com- it's accomplished before eternity passed, which that's a sentence that doesn't make any sense, does it? Foundations of the earth. Yes. He's the lamb slain. 
before the foundations of the earth. So it's accomplished, but when is it realized for you? When you enter into eternity. Right. We've talked about this before. You are, you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. So you have been saved by the work of Christ. You have been declared not guilty and declared righteous in the throne of God. You are saved. You are being saved in that the future reality of declared goodness is being accomplished and built up in you in your sanctification. That is the working out your salvation in fear and trembling. You can summarize that verse by saying, ooh, sanctification. I am walking in godliness. I am being saved. But I will be saved, meaning... I'm still longing for the day when I don't have to war against my sin because it has been kicked out and thrown into the lake of fire, and I don't have to deal with this anymore. That's what I'm really looking for. That's the other side of the resurrection, right? Agreed, yes. Yeah, that's the the resurrection. But in eternity is when my salvation is realized. Because that is the case, welcome to why, again, um, Paul can tell you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, why he phrases it that way. How will we know that we made it to the end? You made it to the end. There you go. He right. who perseveres to the end will be saved. Right. So if at any point in this working out of my salvation with fear and trembling, I veer off the road and never come back onto the road, mm-hmm. I have revealed myself to be the seed planted alongside the road. Yeah. Grew up, looked really pretty, but what happens? Quickly it, withered. Get it withers and choked out. It looked awesome. Now, always remember that, Christian. Mm-hmm. The life cycle of a plant is very short compared to yours. Your life cycle is very short compared to God's eternity. So you can go, well, they walked faithfully for 40 or 50 years, and then they just wandered off into complete apostasy. Well, you're, a, you're freaking out because you think 40, 50 years is a long time. It's nothing. Yeah. It's nothing. Yeah, in the scheme of things, it's, it's a, a blip. Drop. It's a blip. Okay? Understand that. Why is this important to understand and measure as the standard? Because keeping this as my standard keeps my life in perspective. We have children running around in the foyer. <laughs> My children running around in the foyer, so something will be destroyed shortly, I'm sure. And there goes another one. <laughs> They're everywhere. And there goes one of your people. <laughs> Seriously, we have three children running in three different directions. Funny. I'm confused. No, this, this standard keeps life in proper perspective. It keeps my understanding of, well, I've been doing this for 10 years. Okay. Keep on doing it. Yeah, keep on. What's your point? You want a cookie? Keep on keeping on. You want a cookie? I just just had this conversation with Cameron the other day. We're talking about this. She's like, she was talking about getting upset. Well, upset's not the right word. She's getting a little down on going to the gym. She's like, I just, one of those things that, like, when am I done? And I'm like, well, you're not. That's kind of the point of going is you're not done. You're done when you die, when you die. But in the meantime, you're doing things to make yourself healthier and to have a better quality of life in this world in the here and now. It's stewarding of your body. But it's one of those things you have to kind of get through your mindset that there's what people like, well, how do I lose weight? Well, eat better, healthier foods and exercise. Be like, well, besides that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to hear that. Well, because when am I done doing that? And the answer is, well, I'm never done. Because even if I lose the weight that I want... Even if, work. Yeah, even if I lose the weight that I want to lose, what do I need to do to maintain that body? I need to eat proper foods, and you I need to continue exercise. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm never done. Right. Christian, you're breathing. You're not done. Right. So you work out your salvation with fear and trembling until there's no more fear and trembling. And when will there be no more fear and trembling? When my salvation is realized, and that peace that I'm attempting to live in now is fully realized because I'm living it before God, standing in his presence blameless with great joy. See, until then, I'm working, which means if at any point I stop working, I am rejecting the clear and uh, consistent calling of God. Don't do that. Don't do that. Now, what about everybody who is wandering? See, this is the other question I get asked all the time. And the answer is, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Does it look good right now? No. But we all know, we all know somebody who's like raised in church, grew up in church, wandered away, and then came back. We know that person. Now, does that mean everyone that wanders away comes back? No. Not necessarily. No. Does that mean everybody who wandered away had a good foundation and came back to that good foundation? No. They may have had a crummy foundation, and they have now returned because they have a good foundation. I don't know. My point would be, if they're wandering now, proclaim Christ. Mercy, peace, and love. 
because I must contend for the faith. And part of that contention is not me working out my own salvation with fear and trembling, but helping you, fellow professed believer, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And if you are unwilling to do so, then proclaiming the realities of sin, judgment, and mercies in Christ. That's why this matters. And I only understand that and do that rightly when I have right perspective, which means I only do that when I understand that there's an eternity that I'm looking towards and not a tomorrow. Makes sense. Right. Okay. There's, there's, there's something better around the corner, but you got to keep working until you get around the corner. Why does this all matter? Well, pray, pray tell. <laughs> I sent Lou his favorite story, and it wasn't a poll. <laughs> Thank you. I was. I was start, start I need to, to start digging some more of those up. Yeah, those <laughs> just just to give Lou just to get Lou's blood pressure twitching. up. Yeah. <laughs> you don't take medicine to keep your blood pressure low, do you? <laughs> <laughs> I can fix that. No. If you if you my blood pressure is chronically low. Ooh, let me show you some polling on the church. That'll fix that. All right. Actor and director Mel Gibson denounced Roman Catholic bishops in a video monologue to a group supporting canceled priests. I love this. There is a group of canceled priests. Did you even know about this thing that happened? I actually, it was funny. You, you sent me the article, and I think maybe a week before that, I had, I'd, I was surfing on YouTube and saw him, and, and I listened to this very— Yeah, I got a kick out of this. The Coalition for Canceled Priests. There's a name right there. Yeah. Wait a minute. They're the CCP. Okay, that's funny. That did not hit me until just now. Whoa. <laughs> the Coalition for Canceled Priests is the CCP. <laughs> okay, it's, sorry. There's got to mean something. Which promotes the Catholic Church's traditional teachings on faith and morals held a rally Sunday in Rockford, Illinois. Like, right down the street from us. Right. Who knew? I Who'd have thunk it? To kick off 40 weeks for priests. Who came up with 40 weeks? I don't know. Is that a Daniel reference? Do the do, are, do the canceled Catholics have premillennial dispensational theology now? I don't know because that can't be a Catholic thing. Don't you have, aren't you required by church dogma to be post mill? In the Catholic Church, officially post mill. I think there are different views. I think. Yeah, I, but I, I thought they had a position on it. I, I know. I know. I traditionally, they're majority post mill. But yeah. okay. Anyway, yeah, that's recall. neither here nor there. A campaign to defend the church and priests through prayer and fasting. So Gibson, a Catholic, who said he was a voice crying out from the wilderness of Malibu. (laughs) He he is such a clone. That is the greatest sentence ever written. I mean, that's just, I mean, I I understand his point, because Malibu spiritually probably is a desert. But I don't think like a voice of one crying in the wilderness in Malibu. That was like there's this. Um, this throws you off. Cause... Yeah, there's this comedian that does um, country uh, country music parodies called named Cletus, and he was talking about Tim McGraw one time, and he goes, "Tim McGraw's just got that look like he's a man's man, you know, out alone on the prairie with nothing but his horse and his gun and his waxing technician." <laughs> it was just like, okay, that's funny. <laughs> that's funny because. Uh, Tim McGraw doesn't give off the the man's man, you know, burly man. He's he's you know he's cultured country music. That's that's what this is. Crying out from the wilderness in Malibu. <laughs> <laughs> Malibu. Even his demeanor, uh, Mel Gibson, is, is so different than his persona. Oh, I know. He's you know he just seems he seems very strange in this interview. Yeah, watch his videos. He's a wild man. Like he, he he's like he's he's like. He misses. He's like two meals, two missed meals away from being John the Baptist, like with the locust, wild honey, and, and like camel hair, you know, burlap sack outfit. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I I, I fully, fully, firmly believe that, and I'm here for that. That's what I like about him. Yeah. Catholicism aside, I'm here for the crazy. I enjoy it. I like the crazy. It's right. not hard to believe that there is now such a thing as canceled priests. As I've personally known many priests who have been canceled, but not for the reasons you'd think. It's not like they did a hit-and-run drive and left the scene of the crime or embezzled (laughs) church funds. I love that that's where he went. Stole the altar wine or committed some heinous crime. And who's persecuting them? Their own bishops. Now, you can go look up the story, and I I recommend that you do. It'll be be worth your time. (laughs) The reason why I wanted to look at it is because, Christian, I said this to Lou before we started. If you were going to design a cultural institution, and we both are on the same side here, 
we do not believe the uh, Catholic Church as it is officially taught and officially catechized is a Christian denomination. Mm-hmm. While I believe there are faithful Christians in the Catholic Church, mm-hmm. I do not believe the Catholic Church is a is an orthodox denomination. They teach another gospel following after another Christ, a gospel of works and duties, not a gospel of grace and freedom and peace. Agreed? Right. I okay. Agree. Totally. So, but, 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 if you were going to design a cultural institution to stand firm against the lunacy and craziness of the far-out progressivism of the modern world, what would you design? You would design a a slow-moving bureaucracy with lots of red tape, lots of hierarchical layers and filters for things. You'd make them wealthy. You'd give them a, a long, storied history You'd give them a, an institutional bias towards their history, right? Yeah. That's one of the ways you would preserve the slow-moving nature of the institution is by giving it a, a need, a fundamental need to anchor itself to its own history. All right. Culturally speaking, I am describing the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, tradition is one of the stools or one of the legs of the three-legged stool that holds it up. The other is the magisterium, which is the church itself that interprets the history. So two of the church's three legs are really her own historical foundations and moorings. That's a bias towards your own history. Am, am, Am I wrong? No, I think you're right. Layered hierarchy. Yes, the pope wields tremendous authority and power, but it is not overarching it is not total he's not a dictator he can be removed by councils he can be deposed as has been done throughout the church's history yeah or he could step down yeah yeah these things can happen Mm -hmm. it's very slow moving like you can't just start teaching something at a local parish and quickly get it up to rome right things have to filter think of it almost like um coffee a coffee maker, you know, it's got to percolate and settle and run down before it gets to the masses. I mean, the Roman Catholic Church is everything that you would design as a cultural institution to withstand the whims and waves of culture. And yet, oh man, yeah. and yet, I would argue that the cat, the Roman Catholic Church, has been sliding along with the culture for probably a millennium. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not, I'm not kidding, a millennia. I'm going back to 1,000 to 1,100 to the, the, before the Crusades, you were seeing a cozying up to the cultural whims, the political whims of the world. And really before that, and, you've, and you see that throughout the Middle Ages, throughout the, uh, the Romantic and Empiric Age, into the Modern Age. This institution that, is, that should be perfectly suited and designed to withstanding the culture can't. To the point that it's slow-moving, slow—I'm using my hands to describe this like it matters, right? This slow-percolating coffee-maker system is now persecuting its own people for having the audacity to hold to the catechism, for having the audacity to stand apart from the cultural whims and dictates of the day. It's it's ironic. I mean, it's, it's every bit of today's culture. Yes. Yeah. It's the same thing. And that's my point. You ready? Here's, here's where we snap it back on you, Christian. Mm-hmm. Non-Roman Catholic Christian. Actual Christians. Ooh, that was, Ooh. That, that's a low, that was a low blow, wasn't it? Ah, I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. There we go. Slap my wrist. I feel better. You can't design a cultural organization that can stand up to the culture. You can't design a psychological trick to stand up against the culture. You can't design a sociological structure that will stand up against the culture. What you must have is a solid rock standard in Christ. Mm. Everything else is susceptible to, did God really say? Everything else. It's that solid rock foundation, and everything else is the shifting sand. Exactly. I mean, so even if I build this wonderful cultural institution, 
that is deeply anchored and fortified. It's deeply anchored and fortified into sand. Right. It, yeah. it, it, eventually, has nothing to do with the solid rock. Of I Christ. just have to dig yeah. deep enough, and I'm eventually going to undermine those girders. You'll be in the CCP again. Yes, you'll be the CCP. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe I didn't notice that before. <laughs> that just jumped out at me. This is this is why that foundation of Jude matters. Why understanding who you are and why you're like that is so important because you don't have. Christian, unless you're one of the few, you don't have the gumption to contend earnestly for the faith. Not by yourself. You don't. You will be tempted to be nice. You will be tempted to surrender. You will be tempted to go along to get along. Isn't this what happens? Look, every denomination that has gone um, progressive started with what? The, um, the, the American Episcopal Church. The um, What are they called? No, that is it. The Episcopalians. Yeah, Episcopalians. yeah the Anglicans. Yeah. The American Anglicans. Mm-hmm. The Episcopalians. What did it start with? We like to talk about women in ministry. You mean in opposition to the verse where Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man? You want to you talk about that? What is there to talk about? We're done here. Mm-hmm. But we want to talk about it. So they, they ordain women as, as priests and bishops, and then what happens? Yeah, they don't stop there. Within a decade, they're off the rails into progressivism. Where did that go next? You saw that in Lutheranism. And then every offshoot group from Lutheranism, they eventually have the same conversation. Did God really say? And within 10 years of that conversation, where are they? The Presbyterian Church went next. The Methodist Church went next. I said I did a funeral for a family that, uh, whose mother passed away about two years ago, um, born and raised in Presbyterian Church. And they did not want the, uh, the bishop or the, whoever, the, the, the pastor of that church to do the funeral. But because it was held in the church, they had to allow her to say something. So they got it in where I was able to be on the program to do part of it. And what was funny is you go into the church and you go in the back and there's a picture of every pastor on the wall. And right around right around late 80s, early 90s, you see your first women's picture. Mm-hmm. And within three pictures, the purple sash isn't purple anymore because, you know, they wear the robes and stuff. You know what it is? Mm. It's a rainbow. Okay. Open and affirming, huh? Yeah. It happened within 10, 15 years. It happens in every single denomination. Didn't tell you women are evil. Just telling you that God has said, you don't occupy the pastorate. Mm-hmm. I don't make the rules. I just enforce them, and I just follow along. Why? Because I contend earnestly for the faith once for all handed down to the saints. And to do anything less is to surrender to the culture. You can't. By surrendering to the culture, I am refusing to work out my salvation with fear and trembling. That's where I actually give these the, the CCP priests... <laughs> <laughs> can't say that straight face, can you? I can't. I actually give them some credit. Mm-hmm. They're actually holding to a line that they think is good and right. Yeah. They should. And you know what, Christian? When the crazy progressives of the world actually challenge you to the fight, treat them like honored enemies, because they are. They're holding to a line. Do you, do you know the best way to show respect for your opponent? Give them a good fight. Defeat them. Defeat them. Yeah. Defeat them. Treat them with the respect that they are coming with and say, no, I will take you seriously. I will destroy all of your lofty speculations, and I will bring every single thought captive to the word of Christ. Not some of them, all of them, because that's what you would do to me, and that's what my gospel and my God demands that I do to contend earnestly, is that I stand firm and take down every fight. Because why? Because I have peace. I've already won. I have been saved, and I am being saved, and I already will be saved. Therefore, this battle will not defeat me. And if we argue about this until the day we both die, well, then, sorry. You had your chance. You didn't listen. You didn't heed the warnings. I would say, may God have mercy on your soul, but we both know what's going to happen. Now, this may be coming across as very callous, Christian, but the best way I can love you is that when I see you doing something terrible to yourself is that I can hate that thing. And I can try to do everything in my power to kill it. I don't look at you when you're in the midst of a drug addiction and go, well, you know, heroin isn't that bad. (laughs) As the great prophet Mrs. Boucher said, it's the devil. (laughs) Yes, she did, didn't she? It's the devil. Because it is. So when you come in and say, did God really say? Yes. Yes, yes, he did. And and get behind me, Satan. Because that's what you're being right now. 
and because I actually care what happens to your soul, I'm going to tell you that you're being satanic right now, still, and I'm not going to pull a punch. It's, well, I've heard a lot of street preachers say this, you know, it, it's one of the most loving things you can do is to tell a person mm-hmm. when, they're, when they're stepping out of line. I mean, if you don't care... Then don't care. Then you don't care, and you're going to let them walk off that was it? Was it last week we told the story about Penn Jillette talking about that, or a week before last? I know we did recently. Where he's like, how much do you have to hate me to not... Right. How much do you have to hate me to think that I'm destined for an eternal hellfire and, and not tell me? tell me. And not tell me. Right. Like, how much do I mean, you have to... They might not agree with what you have to say, yeah. but at least some people recognize, oh, you really do care about me. Now, notice the other part of this. Did I tell you to go kick down their doors? No, I did not. No. I told you to defend your own. When you have opportunity... Have the fight. Why? Because it's a good fight. It's a worthwhile fight because you have the truth and the sword on your side. Wield it. Not defensively. Offensively. No one draws their sword to just go, ooh, stop stabbing me. Ow, ow, don't do that. I wield the sword to do what? Cut your head off with it. That's what you use your Bible for, Christian. You wield it as the word is intended to separate joints from marrow, to reveal the sin, and to point to the gracious Savior who rescues them. This matters. This, find me something else that does this in our world. It doesn't exist. But we have gotten to the place where we're so worried about what they think. We're so worried about what the world is going to say next that we don't do anything. He who cares the least wins. I don't care what you think about me because I have peace with God. If I have peace and security with God, what are you going to do to me? It's almost like there's a Bible verse in a song that says something like, you know, that, that if God be for us. Who can be against us? Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. You all sang that Chris Tomlin song, and I know you know that line because he put that line in that song 27 times in the chorus. And if our God is for us, then who could ever stop us? And if our God is for us, then who? You know you sang it 28 times. Now it's stuck in your head. Now, you're welcome. Yeah. Right. You're welcome. So the, this stuff matters because, again, who are you? Why? Why are you like that? Yeah. Now, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Because that's how we live in this world. And we stand firm, contending for the faith, contending earnestly for the faith, once for all handed down. Because I will not allow evil to have a foothold. I will not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead I will expose them. And yeah. I will wield the sword rightly and stand firmly in the faith. Told you this was worthwhile. Yeah, for sure. So, what have we learned here today, Christian? God has a standard. God's people must uphold his standard, and we cannot yearn for the approval of the world. Questions, comments, complaints, send them to info at practicaltheologyministries.com. You can go to the website, as I am encouraging you to do every time I talk to you, because there on the website, the number one resource I am pointing you, sorry, I'm kicking Lou. I'm trying to stretch my leg, and I'm kicking Lou. The number one resource I'm pointing you to is a Bible reading plan, because it's coming up in the end of the year, and people are like, well, I want to do this reading plan. Well, I want to start a Bible through the year in January. Well, go there. There's one. It'll help you catch up. There's some notes that'll help you follow along. Read your Bible. It'll do you good, as we always say. That's the part. So I'm always pointing you to that to pick that up, grab it. It's free of charge. We don't even charge anything for it. Probably should, but <laughs> if I did that, even less people would look at it. Right. So it's good for you. So find that on the website. We appreciate you guys listening. Share with your friends and neighbors. Uh, hopefully this is helpful and we can keep on the good fight. So until we meet again, read your Bible. It'll do you good. Bye. Goodbye.